What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. If this is the show where you're expecting not to hear more coronavirus stuff, I have bad news for you. We have a lot of coronavirus stuff on this show. But, of course, it's all sports-related, and there's been some proposals, some ideas being thrown out there just about how we may finally end up seeing sports in its new iteration when we get sports to resume. Um, uh, Many uh, league officials, including even Dr. Fauci himself from the uh, White House Coronavirus Task Force, have laid out their ideas for maybe what we may be seeing if uh, sports does return in 2020. So we'll give you guys a little bit of what we are expecting from 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 that and what we think about those ideas. Also, uh, NFL trade rumor, a uh, pretty big trade rumor uh, that came out today. I'm very excited to hear what Kendall has to say about it because it does involve his Minnesota Vikings. And uh, I, if you guys know me, um, as a basketball fan, I am a massive 90s basketball nerd. Um, obviously, I was a kid of the 90s, born in 1991. And everything, like, I fell in love with the sport in the 90s. So everything about the sport in the 90s, I'm completely invested in. And you guys don't understand how excited I am for this, uh, the Last Dance documentary that ESPN is putting out. It's a 10-parter on the 1998 Chicago Bulls. They're, uh... The, the final season of the last three-peat the Bulls had with MJ, Scotty, Phil as a coach, Rodman, Kerr, Ron Harper, all those guys. And the promotion for this uh, documentary, I think, has been stellar. I think the hype is palpable, especially in this time where there's no sports. So uh, we're going to talk about what we want to see from it, what we may expect from this documentary. You know, the Bulls team is not a team that we haven't um, uh, delved deep into Often, I mean, we've there have been plenty of stories told and uh, pieces done on those 90s Bulls teams. So what makes this different than anything else we've seen, I think, is going to be kind of a conversation we have. So that should be a really great conversation. I'm excited for that. We got Kendall's court at the end of the show where he'll have a very, very, uh, very exciting announcement about what we can expect from New Generation Media and New Generation Podcast Network moving forward. So make sure you stay at the end of the show for that. Joining me is my co-host, Kendall Stewart. Kendall, what's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, it's been an interesting, interesting week uh, for for sports. Um, very interesting week in college basketball, but we'll get to that probably a little later. But um, but yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to talk about some of this stuff. Uh, you know, especially the Jordan the Jordan documentary. We haven't talked about it on this show, but I actually have some interesting some interesting takes on it before it comes out. So that should be a fun conversation. Uh, and like you said, we do have a uh, bit of I would say I mean yeah I would say it's a bit of an announcement, bit of a uh, update um, on where we're at because we have a lot of interesting things that we have to discuss uh, for other topics. And they will be uh, particularly on the YouTube channel, but on, on other platforms as well, probably. So it should be interesting. It, it, that'll be interesting at the end. So stay for that. But um, but yeah, I'm excited. Also, we have the NFL draft coming up. So that's next week. We'll have an NFL draft preview for you guys. So that should also be exciting. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, you know, definitely uh, be on the uh, be ready for that uh, NFL draft show coming out next week. We got a guest already. Um, 
ready and, and, and signed and, and ready to go for the show. We got some guests that may be coming down the pipe for the show, so I'm really excited for that, as, I, as we always are with what we do uh, for the NFL Draft. That, of course, is next Thursday. Also, staying on the YouTube part of that, I do want to give uh, a big thanks to our uh, YouTube audience who obviously cross-section with our podcast audience. Uh, this week, we have reached 500 subscribers. That was the last, I think, of the recent major milestones that we were approaching. We've really been on a roll with some of these milestones. Um, we had 400 subscribers early in the year. We expected 500 to be something we can get maybe at the end of the year. And we know success is fickle, and there's going to be plenty of ups and plenty of downs. And we've played, believe we've had plenty of ups and plenty of downs during this entire journey. But um, but to say that we've reached our goal of 500 subscribers uh, before April is not something we could have ever anticipated. So major, major thanks to our uh, YouTube audience. Um, our last video we just did, also um, a podcast segment, actually, if you guys listened to our last sports show, uh, the segment we talked about. Um, what did we talk about in that segment? <laughs> uh, it was, um, what's the name? For, uh, uh, the oh, the Warriors, yeah. yeah. The Warriors draft strategy um, at the end of the show. That was Kendall's court a couple weeks ago. That reached 1,000 videos uh, this week as well. So we have, we've gone four straight, I believe, or three or four straight, with all our videos hitting at least 1,000, 500 subscribers. Obviously, uh, a couple weeks ago, we reached the 100,000 view mark as a total uh, channel. So a lot of really awesome stuff happening. If you guys have not checked out our YouTube stuff, please definitely give us uh, a chance on there. Give, make sure you subscribe to our channel. It's called New Generation Media. Not only do we do plenty of sports content, but we also have a lot of uh, superhero content. There'll be more superhero content. I know we've been kind of uh, doing a lot of NBA draft stuff and NBA stuff, but there'll be other more uh, eclectic stuff on there as well. Of course, we're a big channel with superheroes, Star Wars, and that nature and all that stuff. So make sure you give that uh, give that a look. New generation media. But let's start this podcast today, Kendall. Let's talk about um, the path to resuming sports. Uh, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, Dr. Anthony Fauci, offered his insight on how we could see sports return to play. He said in a recent interview, quote, nobody comes to the stadium, put the players in the big hotels, wherever you want to play, keep them very well surveilled, have them tested every single week, and make sure they don't wind up infecting each other or their family and just let them play the season out. Now, of course, this comes, Kendall, as Major League Baseball participates in a massive coronavirus study where 10,000 employees will take antibody tests uh, to help scientists get a better uh, understanding of the virus's uh, infection rate. Health officials did not did note that the study will not serve as a proxy for MLB's return, however. Major League Baseball has floated the idea of starting the season with possibly all the teams playing in one state like Arizona with all players uh, and team personnel quarantined. Another idea that recently has has, uh, has floated, been floated around has, is the idea of doing away with the National League and American League and instead having the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League that we have in spring training, which are, you know, the Grapefruit League includes all of the teams, I guess, kind of on the eastern side of the United States playing their spring training games in Florida and all the teams on the western side of the United States playing all their games in Arizona. Having that be this, the, the way the the, the, the the league is is uh is run, and I guess there probably wouldn't be any interleague play in that regard. So uh, that's another um, idea that's being floated. And so far, we've heard 
a decent amount of pushback from players who are not really excited about this idea. And that includes probably uh, Major League Baseball's most important player, Mike Trout, who is not one to really come out and rock the boat with a lot of, you know, big controversial statements or really big statements of anything. He's kind of a, a middle of the road kind of guy. Um, but he, he pretty much came out and said that uh, this idea was, in his words, quote, pretty crazy. Um, he raised concerns about caring for his pregnant wife, um, not potentially being there for when she goes into labor and, of course, having to deal with many other fam- family issues in regards to uh, uh, everything that's happening and, and being isolated from his family for that long, especially we talk about multiple months. So, Kendall, um, I'm curious what you have to say about what you're, what you're hearing from uh, Major League Baseball so far, what you heard from Dr. Fauci. Do you think that this will eventually represent how we will finally end up seeing sports return this year, if that is indeed what happens? Um, that seems to be the direction. Uh, you know, everybody's kind of theorized what would be the way in which we'd see things like the NBA return or Major League Baseball or when the NFL comes back in September. What would these things look like? And I would, I would say that the most plausible has always been yeah we have when we come back they would have to be without fans and it had to be in centralized locations um if not one central location uh when you look at major league baseball they've talked about having the the grapefruit league out in florida the cactus league out in arizona separating teams by by uh those two leagues because each Every team has a facility in Florida and in Arizona, so it it's convenient. Um, it, it, honestly, Major League Baseball is the, is the league most, the professional sports, North American sports league most uh, equipped to do something like this because they are lucky enough to have every team have a facility in two locations, two states. So um, they can they can if anyone's going to be able to pull it off, it's them. Uh, especially the way the sport is played, it's not really a contact sport. So, uh, you know, like there are ways in which like they are better served than others. Um, I think when you talk about trying to play the season and there are a lot of factors when you throw in minor league baseball, like how does that, like, how does that work? Like, are, are teams not going to have minor league systems? Like, is it just going to be, are you going to expand rosters to 40, 50 guys in case guys get hurt? Or are you going to call up guys from the minors who are in, you know, different states? Like, that, all that stuff is even messier to, to think about. But um, in terms of just actually competing, Major League Baseball is obviously the one that seems to be the most likely to happen uh, in the short term. But I don't know. You know, Mike Trout gives, brings up a, a real interesting point and it's something that a lot of people have brought up, you know, because we talk about the value of sports in our society uh, from an economic standpoint, from a morale standpoint. Uh, it's astronomical. And of course, like when 9-11 happened, sports played a big role in kind of galvanizing the country. And there are a lot of people that want to see that happen again. That's something that, uh, you know, the president has talked about is 
seeing something like that happen again. But we have to realize at the same time that this is not the same issue as 9-11 and that these guys are suffering the same or, or put the same, put in the same risks and are suffering the same consequences that everyone is suffering. Obviously, you know, a lot of these athletes have more money, more resources, so they can deal with some of these things. But in terms of not having that same income and right. in terms of, uh, you know, being just as susceptible to getting this virus as anybody and having families and having to stay sheltered in, like they have to do the same things everybody has to do. So if we're talking about putting these guys all in Arizona or putting these guys all in Florida and having them in a hotel and having them have no contact with uh, the outside world, essentially, and having these guys continue to play, that's risky because, look, I mean, one, I mean, just from a from a human standpoint, that's not that's not ideal. Like, we're talking about putting these guys in a bubble. Like, we're talking about quarantining these guys. Like, that's just a weird – I don't know how I feel about that. And as a fan, like, watching these games, it's just not going to feel right if I feel like these guys – some of these guys don't want to be there. And then you have to have the conversation, well – Maybe you make it voluntary. I would make it voluntary. That's, say, so that's a very interesting question, Kendall, because one of the guys who spoke on the terms of anonymity uh, raised a question about whether his contract would be voided if he refused to go along with the idea. Um, and one player uh, has said that he would be he wouldn't be able to bring himself to leave his wife at home uh, with a newborn baby that he just wouldn't do it. These are players who didn't want to put their names, I guess, to. This story. This was by the Athletic, I believe, but um, but that's that's a real that's going to be a real question because as you said, like I don't know for me, I mean there are I've seen sports fans on every in every part of the spectrum when it comes to this conversation. Um, I don't want to judge other people, but for me, I, I agree with you in that I would have a lot of trouble personally if I felt like these guys were being thrown out there just like. Yeah, they are kind of like our modern day gladiators to some degree, but like this feels a little dehumanizing in a way that I don't care how much money you make. That's not enough for me to tell you, hey, you need to not be with your family. You need to stay in one place for for you know all the times you're not playing or practicing basketball or baseball, and you're doing this purely for my own entertainment and right. to protect the it's bottom. And to me, you're not even protecting the bottom lines of these cities. Because some people say, well, okay, well, these cities are being hurt by the coronavirus and they're not being uh, sports. That's 100% true. But if you're if you're talking about what Anthony Fauci is saying, or you're talking about what Major League Baseball is saying, where you're talking about being in one city or one state or two states, now that whole the economic, uh, you know, helping the economy of particular cities that may be hurt, that's thrown out the window. Because now only one state is getting that economy, I guess, because how much money are they really going to be able to generate no, if they're not all, getting fans to the, all, if there's no fans to the game? Yeah, it's all, it's, all, it's all TV revenue. That's just going to corporations. And I don't think anyone is really gives a damn about corporations at this point in time. I would hope not. I mean, maybe, uh, I'm sure maybe there's some people that, that do. But I think that the, the average sports fan, I don't think that corporations are the people that they're uh, most concerned about or entities that they're most concerned about right now. So that, that that's a, a difficult thing for me to swallow. You know, I feel like I, I feel like all of these leagues with the TV revenue that's going to be out there, they're going to do whatever they can to get these guys to play, which is kind of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the NBA. So do I think that this is a 
the most likely way we see baseball soonish? I would say yes, because I, I just I, I feel like there every day is X amount of money lost, so they got to do something to to combat that. I think when it, when we get to regards to what the, what are you gonna do with guys who don't want to play? I think a major question could be about uh, there have to be some negotiating. I mean, the one thing I have heard is is Major League Baseball and the Baseball Players Association, which, as we've talked about on the show, has immense power, w- way more power than the uh, definitely the NFL Players Association, and I'd say even more so than the NBA Players Association. They've been negotiating all of this, so I would assume maybe there's something along the lines of we don't have to give back as much money if you do this, because we know the NBA, some guys are going to have to maybe give back some money. They won't get some certain game checks. There's going to be some, they're going to have to cut some kind of deal. I think yeah, to make this be happen. Math- Sessions in the NBA. Yeah, this even doesn't play, get played, which it probably won't be. Right. So, so I'm, I'm assuming with Major League Baseball, there are going to be some some deal making to make it a little more sweeter for these guys to do this. I saw the athletic article also said that there's a chance that they could open it up to having families allowed in with the players. But to me, like that just I don't then, want to see, but no. that 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 then then why are you doing this for? Because mm-hmm. are the families going to be quarantined? Are they can they never leave their house, right. like their apartment, wherever they're staying, like. That just adds to the risk, and at yeah, the end of the day, complicated. At the end of the day, Kendall, I think we all don't want any of these players or anybody that works for Major League Baseball or any of these sports putting themselves in harm's way for the sake of our entertainment. And that's just to me, that's very simple. I mean, there's no, I don't, there's, there's no other way to, to to slice it. It's very cut and dry. I don't want any athlete that's going to be putting themselves in, in unnecessary harm's risk for the sake of me being able to watch three hours or two hours of a sport on my couch. That's inhumane. That's un-American. And we should not, as a country, stand for that, in my opinion. But if there's a way to do it safely, that, to me, the avenue where these guys are just quarantined by themselves is the only way. I just don't know if me, personally, if I want to, if I see guys who can't live their lives and they're miserable, I don't know if I want to just have them try not they're doing a job for the sake of our entertainment. Right. I know they're and making millions really, of dollars, but it still it still feels weird to me, man. And, and then when we talk about, like, like let's say the NBA is resumed in June, hypothetically. Mm-hmm. But it's in it's under those conditions where guys have to stay in Las Vegas, they're playing all the games in Las Vegas, and but you know what, they're going to try and finish a portion of the regular season, and they're going to try to do the postseason. Like, we have to realize now we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about these guys like you know oh this guy had a bad game or this guy was off like I don't know like yeah this, this guy this guy that guy probably didn't see his family in three weeks right that like, guy has a sick well, has a sick family member who you know who who you know and uh, first of all um I think I do have to give a massive massive shout out and condolences to Carlton Towns um, yeah with the passing of his mother to coronavirus I mean it, uh. It's crazy because, you know, me and you, Kendall, have followed Kat since he was in high school in New Jersey. Yeah. And his mom was just always, always by his side. And I even saw, I know this is kind of a weird video to bring up, but I saw someone post a video of, like, when him and, and B got into that scuffle. Yeah, the thing. That's and, the, that's and he was going to the tunnel, and his mom was just ready to throw down. Like, his mom was ready to, to square up, you know, for her, for her son. Like, that that's, like, that to me is, like, the epitome of what you'd want. For a parent, and to hear her untimely passing is just is devastating. And, and when I think about, and, and so first of all, obviously uh, 
my condolences and our thoughts and prayers are with Cat and the Carnathy Towns, uh, the rest of his family. But when I think about that, again, it, it puts a different light on the idea of, all right, I don't care how you feel or what you're going through through this inter- terrible crisis that is messing with everybody right now on a physical, spiritual, emotional level. Nobody can be say they're okay. Like, nobody's fine right now. Not one person in America. And I feel a way about now saying, all right, guys, you guys are going to be put in this extreme circumstances just so that everyone else could feel a little bit better about life right now. I mean, now, that's, again, I, 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 that's whack to me. Say, it, it comes down to, all right, you know, you have these guys all playing. And we, we talk about we're evaluating these guys' performances. And like you said, we, these guys are going to have things they're going through and we all know we're not going to put all that stuff into perspective because we, I mean, we never do, but you know, like, mm-hmm. um, but then you, that's when for me, it has to become an, a very optional thing. If a guy doesn't want to play, he doesn't have to play. Um, I, now you have to talk about, all right, does he forfeit his contract? Like, I don't think it should be voided to the sense that like he's cut or he's he's out of the league, but just he doesn't get paid, you know. Like you get paid per per game you play. Um, I just I don't know. I like I, I don't know how that would work. But then then you if you do it like that, where guys get to sit out, like you're gonna have guys getting blasted. If a guy says, "No, nah, I'm not." Yeah. I'm not yeah, I, I was, you're lining them up for the firing squad that is yeah, you know, absurdly fans sports fans fandom. We're in a playoff yeah. run, and you you know our third best player doesn't even want to play. Yeah, he you know he wants to he he doesn't want to stick up for his teammates. Like I don't know, this thing is this thing is weird. Um, I don't know how I feel about it, but um, I I don't know. I just feel like I I think this will happen. I think that's the way this is going. Um, I think Major League Baseball will be the first one. I think the NBA. I don't think the NBA season is going to happen. Uh, that that's the one where I think it's going to be tough. Um, yeah. Major League Baseball, I think, could be done, but I think the NBA is going to be a tough one to pull off. They still haven't been able to do it in China. Um, they've tried, but they keep pushing it back, and that's so. That's kind of the, right now the in Taiwan they're trying to play baseball games so. That shows you, like, baseball is a little more doable than basketball right now. But um, speaking of basketball, what did you think of – I actually wanted to bring this up, but I forgot. Uh, what did you think of the whole uh, Rudy Gobert, uh, Donovan Mitchell thing? Mm, glad you did bring that up. Uh, so Rudy Gobert, obviously, was the first player to test positive for coronavirus. And – um, there's been talks about what his relationship is like with uh, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, we talked about this the week it came out that clearly things weren't great. Yeah, and there's pretty much been no sign at all of uh, any real progress. Uh, Gobert did speak to Taylor Brooks to kind of, I think, squats. Uh, yeah, I think try to try to put some. Yeah, try to try to change the narrative a little bit of what's been going on because there's been so much source reporting. Source reporting. Yeah, that's what I look for. Um, that Donovan Mitchell is very still very unhappy with Gobert and is unsure if their relationship is redeemable at this point. 
Gobert did some uh, damage control. That's probably the word, the term I was looking for. He said that um, their relationship is great. Uh, that that um, he did not speak to Donovan in the beginning, but then they spoke recently, and that I guess that conversation wasn't as bad <laughs> than maybe uh, we would have been led on to believe their relationship has been. There has been again, like I said, talks that Donovan Mitchell uh, has. Is, is is unsure about how he can move forward with um with that with that situation with him and Gobert. I mean, do you buy that? I've tweeted this, Kendall. I I, I to me, uh, I I really don't want to do this to Donovan. I really don't because it's going to make him look like a heel. And I think he's a good kid, and he's a New York, and he's a you know kind of a New Yorker. He's from you know Dodge Ferry, which is you know Westchester. It feels like it's his backdoor way of trying to get out of Utah. To me. And get to the Knicks. I don't know if it's to, I don't know if it's to the Knicks. I mean everyone is throwing the Knicks cause the Leon Rose connection, obviously. Yeah. And that's you know And the New York thing. It's fair. And of course he's a New Yorker and Knicks are in Westchester. <laughs> yes. And he's always uh spoken highly of the Knicks. The Knicks were very interested in him when he was a, a, a kid coming out of college. They almost drafted them before they went with Frank Nilekina. That clearly was not the right move. So that's that's the feeling I get. I do. I did think that he. I saw he recently. I think yesterday he posted a, a picture of him in the Jazz uniform um, on Instagram. I, thought, I think that was kind of a way to kind of like speak to these like the internet chatter. I haven't heard any source reporting of anyone saying that he's trying to get out of Utah or that he's trying to be a Nick. Nothing. But certainly there's been a lot of chatter on social media and even amongst uh, Nick's beat writers about what it would take to potentially get someone like uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell and then what the Knicks would uh, need to give up. So I think he's aware of that. And that's kind of why I think that this is what he's doing. I think that he's trying to play a very, very, he think he's trying to walk a very tight rope. He knows he's a, he's about to be a stricter free agent soon. So getting out of that situation is damn near impossible unless you go scorch earth, which is what Chris Asporzingis did, and it worked for him. So it's not like it's impossible. But I, I think he's starting the tea leaves of he, – he's dropping the tea leaves and starting that movement towards I need to get out of here. Because for the Knicks, if that's a team that would be that would be interested in Donovan Mitchell, I mean, obviously – if you're saying it's either him or I with Gobert, the Knicks can't, they're not going to trade for Rudy Gobert. He doesn't really do much for them. They have Mitchell Robinson, and yes, Gobert obviously is much better than Mitchell Robinson, but he, he's not, he's an upgrade, obviously, but I don't think that's really the upgrade the Knicks are necessarily right, right, looking right. for. Like, they're not in the search for a defensive anchor. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not their pressing issue at the moment. Like, they have a guy who's serviceable. They need a number one option. Clearly, yeah, and that's the that's the question. Like when you talk about the Jazz, because some people will, will jump to the Jazz will never trade Donovan Mitchell. They always trade Gobert before they trade Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell to face his franchise. One, some would argue Rudy Gobert is a more valuable on court asset. Uh, although Donovan Mitchell is the face of his franchise, I wouldn't deny that. But two, Rudy Gobert has a has an expiring contract which makes it much harder for him to get traded. His trade value is much lower. So if you're going to trade him, you're going to trade him more or less, I won't say for peanuts, but I don't think there's going to be some massive bidding war where teams are going to be giving up 
blue chip assets for Rudy Gobert. So you're not going to get uh, you're not going to get a real return for Gobert versus Mitchell. You get a ransom. And three, we don't know how the dynamics of that locker room are even where they're at right now. We don't know if guys are rallying around Gobert more than Mitchell. Because, I mean, that's the other part of this that we have to look at. Is not well, not only the part about Mitchell getting traded potentially, because I think I, I agree that I think that that's that could be part of this. But the reason I think that could be part of this is. Do we think that that is like, of course, Mitchell has a valid, he has a valid response and a valid gripe with Gobert from the sense that, yes, Gobert put, Gobert had a, potentially had a uh, life-threatening illness that he potentially gave to uh, Donovan Mitchell. And Mitchell theoretically could have given it to his family when they met in uh, I guess that was Brooklyn, I think it was, New York, wherever they were. Um, yeah, they played and, the Knicks. Oh, they played the Knicks, right. So that is, that. that's that's what that's 100% fair. Um, if I'm Mitchell. So so wait, I, that's actually a good point. That's actually some place I want to go before you continue. You, you, th- you do think Mitchell is in the right or is, is justified for being this angry at Rudy Gobert? Well, no, I, not necessarily. Oh, I okay. get... I get Mitchell being upset in theory. Like he can be, he can feel however he wants to feel. But if this were me, I think Mitchell has to step back, look at, all right, yes, Gobert was callous. Um, if he was callous on April 8th and this happened, I would say yes. You gotta trade that guy. He's a clown. Um, he's a disgrace to the NBA. But last time I checked, Gobert was doing all the Mike stuff and was being a clown the week of March 10th, March 12th. That it was a much different time in the country. Yes, it was still out there. Yes, we were talking about playing March Madness without fans. We were play- talking about playing NBA games without fans, and you know, like definitely be wary of the virus. It could be out there. But nobody was, I don't want to say nobody, but there were still people out there, plenty of people, probably majority of the country, if we're being honest, were still pretty lackadaisical. In fact, Gobert was, Gobert testing positive and the NBA being shut down was kind of the beacon for a large portion of our population to say, wow, this is serious. Like, the NBA is gone. Yeah, there's people who had made, I think, the accurate assumption and the accurate point that Rudy Gobert's um, let me be nice. His ca- carelessness saved lives. Exactly. Because more people, there would be more games, more people going to arenas. Like, had he had he not been someone who got sick and showed symptoms as early as he did, maybe there would have been three, four more nights of NBA games. Maybe there would have been more yeah, nights of, of like. conference. A conference basketball tournament. Yeah, maybe tournaments say, let's just finish this out. So we're already there. We're already at the conference and let's finish it out. So that is, so when you consider like that plus, and I know some people don't like to think like this, but if we're being honest, think about the end result. Mitchell, I understand he got a life-threatening illness that for some people is attacking people of all ages. 
But the end result is Mitchell is fine, um, as far as we know. He's fine. He was asymptomatic. He's recovered. Uh, Gobert seems to have recovered. Um, none of Mitchell's family, as far as we know, have been affected. Uh, as far as I would assume the same for Gobert. Like, these... So, at the end of the day, everything is is fine. Mitchell has to have some 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 nuance to understand all right yes this was a, a, a yes this was a terrible episode but he didn't mean it and all is good so and then the the thing that for me it makes this a 100% i think Mitchell's i don't want to say in the wrong but is overreacting is we don't know how Mitchell got the virus this is all Mitchell assuming that he got it from Rudy Gobert, from Rudy Gobert's callousness. Right. Now, yes, if, if Rudy Gobert spit in Mitchell's suit constantly all week, then yes, I understand why Mitchell's now upset. He's like, man, I wouldn't have had this thing if you weren't doing all this crazy stuff. And maybe that's the case. But, like, if, if it was kind of just playful stuff, who's to say Go- Mitchell didn't have it from his family, who was in Westchester, which is way more affected than, I'm sure, Utah is. And then, because people say, oh, Gobert gave, Gobert gave it to this kid. What if the kid gave it to Gobert? We don't know that. Mm-hmm. Or what if, or some, you think, some people think Gobert got it from the kid. What if Mitchell got it from his family, who gave it to Gobert, who gave it to the kid? Like, we it's, we don't know how to track this thing. We don't know how anybody gets it. We assume it's through contact. We think it's through contact. We pretty much know it's through contact. But we don't know. There's no way of tracing it right now. So these are all assumptions that Mitchell's making. And... Again, he can, I guess, in theory, feel however he wants. But if I'm a guy in that Jazz locker room, I'm not, I'm not rallying behind Mitchell. I'm like, yo, get over it, guy. Like, I, it's, you have a job, and I guess that's that seems to be what they've talked about is look, we have, we have a job to do, and, you know, we're trying to win a championship, and that's fair. But to me, this sounds like him and Mitchell weren't cool to begin with. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like Gobert and Mitchell did not have a great relationship, and. Honestly, if this was somebody I didn't like in the first place, yes, this probably would be my reaction. But this is somebody that they were that he was really cool with, then I don't think that he would have this reaction. I think that's just to me, I think that's just common sense. If somebody made a no matter how big the error is, if somebody makes an error that they didn't really even mean that they were naive in, then I can't I can't treat them like they're some criminal, some sinister criminal. But that's that's what it sounds like Mitchell's doing. And it's just I don't know. On March thirteenth, March fourteenth, when he tested positive, fine. But April, April twelfth, April thirteenth, I, I don't know. I think you're holding on. You're crying over spilled milk at this point. Which is why I think all of what you said is mostly fair. I'm not saying I agree with everything you said, but I think even if I don't, I think what you said is fair. Which is why I think for me the rational explanation beyond that is. What else could he possibly be trying to do with this to drag this out this long? And I don't know, like, uh, Donovan, from what we've seen from him, seems to be just a charming, kind-hearted dude. I don't see him as this vengeful guy. I don't see him as this overly emotional guy. Not to say that he can't be vengeful and overly emotional about this. I'm just speaking to, okay, what have I seen from him in his past to try to try to make do of what he's doing now 
And there's nothing I've seen from him to suggest he would act like this. Like, not to name, not to throw him under the rug, but I mean, if Russell Westbrook acted like this, I would, I kind of would Russ, understand it. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers. I would understand. A little more under his character. No, I and mean, again, not really a negative or a positive, but just more. You understand it a little. Which is why, with the Jazz being, of course, they don't want to give up either guy. Like they like, there's no reason to give up either guy really, unless you felt like there was no chance you could resign Gobert, which I think they feel like they'll have a very good chance to. I don't think these are, you know, he's gonna cost them a fortune, but I don't think they can afford to leave lose him. I think if they lose him, they're they're completely gone in regards to trying to compete for a championship. So, with that being the case, knowing that you're gonna have to play with this dude and you kind of don't like him anyway, and you kind of look at the city and. You're kind of looking at your agent, who you love, who who has done so much for you in your early career, is now running the team that you probably rooted for your whole life, that is close to home. To me, these are the kind of tea leaves you see from guys that eventually want out. You know what I'm saying? Like I feel like every all the recent players that have eventually wanted out, we've seen these little moves that they make. Uh, you know that 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 then. You know, it's not a surprise when five months later they say, you know what, I've requested a trade. I don't want to do this anymore. I think, I, I again, I don't, I think John Don is a good dude, and I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. That's why I kind of hesitate to even put this out in the lexicon. But me being honest, just looking at how I'm observing this situation, to me, it's very clear what's happening. Like, and to be honest, it kind of reminds me of when Carmelo Anthony wouldn't sign his extension with the Nuggets. And, you know, early on, it's like, oh, he's expected to sign it. And then I was like, oh, well, uh, they're just talking over parameters. He may want a shorter-term deal. Then I was like, oh, well, you know, he, he wants to stay in Denver, but he may want to test his options. He may want to go to free agency. And then it became, I want to go to New York. Like, that's eventually what it got to. Like, there's these small little moves that happen that then – eventually become something bigger because they're, they're playing a long game. I think this is Don playing a long game to get himself most likely to New York. Though I, 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 think, that, I, I think that I think that I think that he would probably want to be just away from Utah, period. He's right. in a Western Conference. He has no chance uh, in that conference with the teams that are there. Um, he's one of the most marketable stars in the NBA, and he's playing the smallest market in the Exactly. Yes. Like, that's not ideal. Adidas probably doesn't want him there. He's got a signature not. shoe. He's probably, of course, CAA doesn't want their one of their top guys playing in Utah. I mean, again, I think he's being opportunistic. I think, do I think he was initially upset? Absolutely. Same. I think he had a right to be upset. I think, yeah, sure. I think in April, uh, on April 15th, I don't think Donovan Mitchell is nearly as upset. And I think the the narrative was, was, it was to be believed in the article. And that's why part of me is not that upset about Mitchell. I'm more upset about Mitchell if the article is 100% true, because then I think he's being overreactionary. But I think that this is a bit of a work to get him out of Utah. You agree with me. In the end, you agree that. Yeah, I think he's being opportunistic. I think he realizes, I mean, it may not even be his idea. It could have been his agent, Austin Brown, or other people in CAA that said, hey, like, you know, there's this thing out there about you and Gobert may not be able to work anymore. I mean, we thought the Gobert, the anti-Gobert stuff was heavy-handed on <laughs> when it came out. 
from it's, jump from jump it seemed it, a lot it seemed a little heavy handed yeah and to then double down a month later and say yeah we still haven't talked and our relationship is unsalvageable i just i don't know I, with all the facts that i laid out to me i just think that that's it seemed implausible that it's that unsalvageable so when we're talking about and maybe this isn't the right way to think about it because we're talking about you know basketball but we're talking about real life issues but if we're being real the 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 second best player or best player on the team, you really feel like that is, this makes this unsalvageable. Like I can understand if this will. Yeah, I feel. I feel like if Prime Shaq would have gave him a coronavirus, he would have found a way to look, look past. Right. It. <laughs> like I, you know, if this was a, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a guy on the Jazz. This was uh, Nigel Williams Goss or Emmanuel Mudiay, and you said this was unsalvageable, and the guy had to be traded. I'd be like, all right. I mean, I do. I think it's a little bit, a little messed up, probably. But I mean, you can feel how you feel. You're the star player, Rudy Gobert. I just don't think that that's logical. Like, I think why would you want that guy traded? So, my, my, the, if if you take another step, it has to be maybe he's trying to get himself traded. He realizes order of operations. They're not going to dump Rudy Gobert for Donovan Mitchell because that's that's a bad look for Utah. <laughs> now it looks like you don't back up your guys and this, that, and the other. So Mitchell will be the guy to, to move. and Or this is his next step of saying, I went out. And you already see Jazz fans, I think, see the game. Because yeah, a lot they, of Jazz yeah, they do. are blasting him. They're saying, this is nonsense. Gobert didn't do anything. You didn't do anything wrong. Like, what are you doing? So I think they understand that the next step is going to be him saying, yeah, I went out because I don't want to play Rudy Gobert anymore. Once the Jazz say we're not going to trade Gobert, he's going to say, I want out because I don't want to play Gobert anymore. And then that's when you're going to see teams start putting in their their uh, their offers. And I think the Knicks would be the first team at the table. I think the Knicks, if I were them, I would trade their first-round pick this year and R.J. Barrett. And Starting out hot and heavy. That's a lot. It's a lot of But lot there's of no guarantee that either one of those guys are going to be as good as Jonathan Mitchell whoever they draft, and R.J. Barrett. It's a risk because, yes, if R.J. Barrett turns into a star and you end up you, – you pass on, you know, whoever you end up drafting, who ends up – whoever the Jazz draft, whoever ends up going where you could have picked, and that guy's a star, and you say, you could have LaMelo and R.J., those guys both end up being all-star. But, I don't know, bird in the hands worth two in the bush. If you can get an all-star, get the all-star versus two potential all-stars. So – Especially one that is still on his rookie deal. I mean, he's up for an extension this offseason, but the guy's still on his rookie deal. So, in theory, you could then, if you made that trade, still go up and be aggressive in free agency. So, I don't know. I mean, it's not like this is a great free yeah, agency. It's, but. it's definitely become a discussion with, like, how much you give up. And in some ways, the Knicks feel like an imperfect, as I said, I kind of alluded to earlier, an imperfect trade partner with the Jazz because... The guy I think they most want to keep is R.J. Barrett. But he plays the same position as uh, Mitchell. And the second best asset you have is Mitchell Robinson, and he plays the same position as Gobert. So, I mean, I, I would I would say to any Knicks fan that if, you're, if you want Donovan Mitchell, the price will be R.J. Barrett. I think at that point the question becomes, how much more are you going to have to give up beyond R.J. Barrett? And as far as what I'd be willing to do, 
I have to see where this pick landed before I would decide whether or not I'm giving up this year's pick. You know, like, if this is a top three or top two pick, I don't think that I don't think that Donovan Mitchell is worth two top three picks. I don't believe that. He's a very good player. Um, he's an all-star. So I think, honestly, I think a top three pick in this draft is traditionally maybe six or seven. But I see what you're saying. I, I, I get you. But I get the feeling somebody's gonna hit in the top three. So, oh yeah, somebody. So that's why my thing. So my thing is, even if this is a bad draft and maybe I would have made the wrong pick, somebody's gonna hit in the top three. That's a star. So you want to you want to have that shot? I, I think I think I would want to have that shot. I think I would try to auction off next year's pick, or the Jazz, or the the Dallas pick maybe, or maybe next year pick and the Dallas pick, something like that. Oh, yeah. Do I don't. That. I just don't know if. And then right now, Knicks. Yeah. I think I think I slotted at six. With this year's right. draft, that's super. That that means nothing almost because the Pelicans. I think last year were six. If I'm not mistaken. So, well, they might have been eight or nine, whatever they were. But my thing is six. You can jump to number one fairly easily, or you can fall back to nine because the draft lottery is now such a crapshoot. That's to me is is. I mean, you wouldn't be able to make this kind of trade until after the lottery anyway. But if that pick was top three I, I i can't give up my number three pick last year who looks good i don't i don't, I don't know yeah. how great rj is going to be but What's he looks like he's a player at the very least and then another top three pick for a guy Which, who i don't get think to the top three then you have to have the conversation all right because i would also be willing to trade robinson and the top three pick I almost be more willing to do that than maybe make it a three team deal where you move Robinson to another team Mm -hmm. that's willing to give the Jazz maybe a more win now or more ready player that can help them another or another star player that gets moved. I don't know. I think you 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 could definitely be creative, but I because I don't know. Look, the Jazz are in a tough spot. Like I feel bad for Dennis Lindsay. I feel bad for Justin Zanuck because this is like this is like the dumbest reason why they're gonna have to blow up their team which is why it feels (laughs) which is why it feels like you know manufactured but like because they had a team i'm not saying i thought they were going to win a championship they kind of were kind of sputtering anyway but i they i mean they kind of had their core already and it was built around mitchell and gobert and there's not much you can do to really improve upon that the only thing would have been, all right, I mean, I guess we could see if we can move Gobert for a better piece that fits next to Mitchell. Or you just move Mitchell for another star, but that guy really isn't out there. You know? Like Yeah, after after this season, no, they made their move with Conley and it failed. It failed yeah. tremendously. After this season, their wiggle room for making a massive move beyond just the core that they have is over. Because they have to pay Gobert. So once you pay Gobert, it's over. Like you, your your flexibility is so limited, you're not able to make a move that's really going to move. And that doesn't mean you can't make moves that can still help you win a championship. But I'm talking about that massive move that could really make Utah a serious, serious contender. They squandered their chance on Mike Conley. It was unfortunate. I thought it was a decent gamble, and it just Conley just he just can't play anymore. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know what his deal is. But after having a really surprisingly excellent season last year. He's had a miserable time in Utah, and he looks shot. So they wasted their shot on a big money guy, and they used it to trade for Conley. So this is it. Not to say that again. Gobert is only twenty seven years old. 
I mean, I think he he's in the prime of his career, but even if he takes a one step up, you know, he's a, a obviously a great center. You know, Mitchell is very young. You know, we really don't know what his ceiling is quite yet. He it did improve from last year after there was concern that maybe uh, we started to see maybe he didn't have as great a ceiling. This year, I think he stepped his game up, and nobody could argue that. So his ceiling is kind of unknown. I don't know. I don't think what he's going to be like the MVP of the league at some point. But I think you know how good he can be. I think it's still a little bit of a question mark. Improving the team outside of those avenues, uh, outside of those two guys, it's going to be very tough. And some of these players that they have that are already on the team, like someone like Ingles, I think you're going to start to see on the decline because they're age. And, you know, Conley's already shot. So, definitely a tough situation. Follow the Knicks. I'd be very hesitant to give up R.J. Barrett and a top three pick this year. Now, if my pick fell to nine or eight, that's a different story. I would be more willing to give up that pick because I feel like, okay, my chances in this draft of getting a guy that's going to be a star I think- at eight or nine or seven. Or, and if it was six, I would, I would consider it. I would more consider it. I'm talking about a top three or four pick along with a guy who was drafted number three last year and what was a great draft by a lot of people, that seems like a price that may be a little bit too much for me. I, I think last thing on this the last thing, yeah, yeah, the last thing is I think the value of Donovan Mitchell that I think we're not talking about in New York is not also necessarily, look, he's a great player. He's extremely marketable. So I think, you know, obviously those two things are excellent for the Knicks, uh, extremely likable player, but I think he's also so extremely popular amongst the guys that they're going to want to try and get over the next five to six years that I like, I don't like Donovan Mitchell could be your D Wade that recruits LeBron and Chris Bosh to come to New York. The Knicks haven't had that really ever. Close thing would have been Melo and Melo wasn't obviously Mario. Honestly, honestly, Mario's the last guy. Like he could be your Amari Sotomayor who recruits Mello. So right. that's why Barrett could be that, but he hasn't earned that type of respect amongst the league, other guys in the league yet. Um, and Mitch Robinson, not that kind of guy. So that's, that's what makes getting Donovan Mitchell, I think so important for anybody. It doesn't just necessarily have to be the Knicks. Like Donovan Mitchell outside of, like Mitchell could potentially recruit some guy to Utah. That's a tall order. But that's how much that's how popular I think Donovan Mitchell is. But Mitchell outside of Utah, especially in New York, they're gonna be guys that are gonna want to go play with Donovan Mitchell. So, uh, although his style of play isn't probably the most uh, you know easy to play with in terms of he takes a lot of shots, but in terms of being a likable figure, there are certainly guys around the league that he's friends with. So uh, that's why I wouldn't be surprised to see the Knicks take that uh, gander. Uh, in the uh, Tom Thibodeau, Leon Rue era. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's uh, head over to football, Kendall. Let's talk about um, the NFL already putting in um, contingency plans in the midst of this coronavirus outbreak. So according to uh, Mark Maskey of the Washington Post, the NFL is already including, uh, is already preparing for these contingencies that do include a shortened season. They're also potentially uh, preparing for uh, empty stadiums, which may be just flat out necessary or mandatory with uh, when you have the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, saying that uh, there may not be 
any large gatherings, including sporting events, allowed until the summer of 2021. That's more than a year from now, which as drastic and as scary as that sounds, when you hear there won't be a vaccine until next year, I mean, that that may end up being what our reality is. Uh, apparently, you know, the schedule was supposed to come out in May. The NFL is already working uh, these contingencies in place. They're, they're expected to be very flexible with the schedule that they release. And that uh, it, it could, uh, it definitely will take into account the possibility that they have to delay the start of the season, which would, of course, result in a loss of games. Kendall, what do you make of this uh of these plans the NFL is putting in place right now, you know, delayed start, loss of games, and uh, empty arenas or uh, stadiums, yeah, I rather. For yeah, I mean, again, we've talked about it. You kind of have to have empty stadiums, um, which kind of makes the college football thing kind of awkward, which is why these athletic directors are kind of losing it. But um, you kind of have to have stadiums. Uh, empty stadiums right now. Um, I don't know. Honestly, like the, the NFL is in a weird spot where uh, they do have the luxury now of being able to sit on seeing what the NBA and Major League Baseball and all these other leagues do. They don't have to do anything till September. So that is that is, I guess, a luxury. Um, but it's still. Like they're so they're still trying to get through this draft, which is going to be awkward, you know. Like I like trying to think about what will NFL games look like to me is like it's it's like such another elite. Um, I I mean I would delay it. I would I I just think that's the smartest thing to do. I don't need to see the NFL in September at this point. If the NFL debuts in November, if it debuts in January, I I wouldn't care. Um. I just hope to see the season. Uh, but again, it, it goes back to like what it goes back to the first thing we talked about. What is the player association comfortable with? What are players around the league comfortable with? What is what is the NFL comfortable with? And what are fans comfortable with? Like these are all things that we have to talk about. But um, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, just unfortunately, as I said before, it kind of just feels like an inevitability. Um, the NFL, as you said, is in a unique position where unlike the NBA and the MLB where they were kind of raring for various big events like the start of the playoffs or the start of you know opening day. NFL, yes, they're in an offseason. They have a big event with the with the draft, but that's not a, a anything involving games. They won't have any games. The earliest they'll have games would be obviously preseason, which is the end of July, and regular season would be uh, – you know, September. So they do have the luxury of time. I do think that for them, it's, it makes sense to have these contingencies of a shortened season because, you know, you talked about starting the season later, but we also got to consider Kendall uh, some where some of these cities are and, uh, and, and just how, how, how just the idea of, of playing, you know, games in February in Green Bay like that if you're trying to you know do a 16 game season you starting in November I mean how many games are you going to be playing in just unbearable temperatures and weather you know they they deal with it obviously for December and for uh 
for for you know, January if they made the playoffs. But you know, going a whole another month with two or three more games in cities like uh, Chicago, cities like Green Bay, Cleveland. I mean, that that could be a little a little intense, and I don't know if they really would uh, if that would would be what the NFL would want. So, um, yeah, this 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 is kind of where we're at in society. I think that the NFL draft this weekend, this, uh, next week, which we'll talk about more next week, though, is just going to be crazy. I mean, you got Roger Goodell. He's going to be naming the picks from his basement in, yeah. in Westchester, New York. I mean, this is this is nuts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it should be interesting uh, how that is played out. Um, I may... Uh, I may have more details by next week on how that's going to uh, play, uh, how it's going to play out from a team perspective. Uh, that I may talk about on the show next week, but I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this even operated, man. I'm, teams I'm, are not going to be in the draft rooms, and GMs are all going to be in different locations. But they said they're not going to give them any extra time, so I think this is just going to be a mess. But yeah, we'll it's going to be crazy. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a lot about that next week. But yeah, no extra time. They're not allowing you to go into the facility. So we have something we talked about a couple weeks ago where, we, you know, for now they were saying the facilities could be open. Now it's like, nope, no facilities. Uh, I saw someone, um, I think uh, one of the guys on NFL Network, might have been Garofalo or whatever his name is. Uh, he said Mike, that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shout out to him. I'm sorry. I just said whatever his name is. But <laughs> so, uh, but uh, he said that there was one GM that spent $10,000 souping up his house so he had the ultimate ultimate wi-fi the ultimate internet connection <laughs> 5g connection like like he, he did everything to make sure he had full range so that he had all the possibilities that he that cost ten thousand dollars i mean this 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 is this is nfl draft i mean they're probably the nfl and these teams they're probably um they probably have access to various technology that we the normal folk don't have uh, yeah, so, I can confirm that. <laughs> exactly. You can confirm that more than anybody having been with an NFL organization. So to equal that kind of that kind of uh, hardware, it doesn't surprise me that it costs ten thousand dollars. Now, luckily for these general managers, a lot of these front office people, they can probably fork over the bill and it'd be okay. They could afford it. Um, and it, a lot of it will probably be on the company card anyway. So, yeah, I'm sure you know. Yes, yeah, depends owners. on. Look, you're working for the Bengals, like maybe a little tougher. <laughs> Probably they, they might Brown making them pull out their own, uh, their, their own checkbook. They got to go to Starbucks to, <laughs> to do the draft. <laughs> but yeah, there's some other franchises where they'll be fine. Yo, what can what would you do if you went to a Starbucks and or any like place at the internet and you saw like Rick Spielman like on the phone? Like you know, doing would, work for the job. Like, would you talk? Would you say something to him? Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I I don't know if I would take a picture or not, but would you? Would you but would you, when I say, would you say something to him though? Would you be like, especially you, because you you know, not only anybody who watches the show, not only listen to the show, not only do you, you're obviously an NBA draft guru, as far as I'm concerned, but uh, you're super into NFL draft stuff too. So like, would you like say, hey man, I know you're in round three. This is the guy I was think we should go after. Would you would you say that, or do you think you would you would just let him rock? You just say, hey, I, "I just want ask, a picture." I would certainly ask him, like, uh, "Where do you think you're gonna go?" Yeah, yeah where do you, where 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 are we going with this pick? You know, 
Uh, what do you think of this guy? And I was also asking about the, the events that have already unfolded, you know, just to pick his brain on what's going on. Right. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, this is gonna. I mean, this is gonna be interesting, man. I mean, you're, like you said, you're already seeing pictures of these coaches, and they have like you know, four and these GMs with four or five monitors on their desk and watching film on their flat screen TV, and it's just weird, man. But that that but that's the time we're in, and yeah. like you said, the show must go on. You know, these coaches and stuff have to be able to adjust, but I'm not sure. I know one thing. We gotta find not just you and me, but just like us as a society. We gotta find another phrase than the times we're in or these crazy times. I feel like I see that 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 like terminology way too often to describe what we're in. In some ways, it feels a little like not giving us giving it enough credit. Like we're in a complete catastrophe right now as a country, and I just, it's like you know you just said you know in the times we're in. I think I said that right before. Um, you start talking, I'm like, we got to find another term than the times we're in. I've heard it now a zillion times on TV and, and just in, in our chatter with, you know, people we love or friends or whatever. But, um, but yeah, NFL things would be crazy, man. Um, apparently, you know, if it's not empty stadiums, it may be one third of the stadiums filled or half the stadium is filled. I don't know. This is, uh, I don't know. This is going to be something. You know what's funny, and this is something for the WWE fans. I almost feel like what I'm curious to see is if you're talking about empty arenas and empty stadiums, is there a way you can change the way you produce games to not make it feel so weird? Like for the reason why I bring that up is because you know WWE fans. Uh, obviously, wrestling has still been going on. It will apparently continue to go on because Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, has deemed it a, quote, essential business. I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole, but take that for what it's worth. Um, But one of the things that was interesting was the WWE during WrestleMania, which is this massive event. um, This year was two nights, but typically, you know, it's like a five, six hour event of a bunch of wrestling matches. This year, obviously, they had the empty... It wasn't an arena they were in. They were like a training facility uh, that does have seating. But two of the matches they did were like theatrically produced. Now, obviously, you can't do a theatrical football game. But I'm wondering if there is a way you could like change the way you shoot the game, the way you produce the game, so that it doesn't feel so much like, oh, man, there's no crowd noise. This is weird. Like... I don't know. I, maybe I can't. Maybe there isn't. But thinking about what WWE did and thinking about some of the changes they did make to like uh, their production, even their live matches that did have uh, no crowds, I'm wondering if these networks and these sports stations will find a way to to still produce the games, but maybe in a different way, so that the lack of a crowd won't be so obvious. Um. Yeah. I mean, I would. I would put uh fake crowd noise but you would you are you're a fan of the pipe in the crowd noise yeah I, no, I, I can't do that i think we all know that there are no fans but just in terms of keeping the game still kind of normal uh now obviously it's kind of weird in terms of it's fake like how do you do that do you have a cheer for only the home team like do you just have it playing throughout the whole thing like you because there are ups and downs to a basketball game or a football game like 
It's not always loud. It's not always quiet. But um, I don't know how you you know you put somebody on the you put somebody in some control room that's controlling that and adjusting it. That's that's the overall thing you have to have to talk about. But um, if not, then I don't know. Mic these players up. Like like that's that's that that to me is more of what I'm <laughs> like for. coaches up. Mic players yeah. up. That that's that to me is more of where I would go. I know. Uh, I also wouldn't not to cut you off, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. play games in giant arenas. Or that's another thing. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I totally agree with that. I they should not be playing in like MetLife Stadium for Jet games. They should no. be playing somewhere small. I totally yeah. agree with that. Like and that kind of goes stadium, or if you want to yeah. play in indoor, I don't say practice facility, but some place that's like. You know, smaller. That's not really. It may not even be a spectator venue. Like, yes, I agree with that. You know, yeah. like the NBA shouldn't be playing games in you know the Pepsi Center or even really. I think Thomas and Mac. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were talking about Thomas and Mac. I disagree. I mean, you're on the same page. They should, be playing, they should put it in Cox. I don't think that they should be playing in the Thomas and Mac Center. Yeah, it's a huge arena with empty seats. Yeah, it's I, not good. That, that goes towards what I was talking about with the with the production and stuff. Yeah, that's fair. What were you saying about the Biggie tournament, real quick? No, I was like, I mean, we all saw the Biggie tournament. It kind of looked kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, uh, and even that was probably still too many people. It was and still kind of people. It kind of just looked like an empty. Uh, it kind of looked like you know just a, a bad basketball game. And at least yeah. with the with MSG, there's a spotlight on this on the arena on the on the floor. So that it, so it, even then it still was like, man, there's no one there. This is weird. So imagine like a normal arena where they like they don't they don't have that like spotlight uh, lighting for the court. It's gonna look really weird. And yeah, me and you, I, I wanted to mention that as well. I'm totally in agreement. I think that they should not be playing in massive stadiums. That to me is ridiculous. If you're gonna do, if you're doing empty stadiums, now if you're gonna have them half full, I mean, I don't know. Do you maybe not put people in upper deck? I don't know how you do that. You spread people out, uh, something like that. I don't know, but but if you're doing empty stadiums, you shouldn't be doing them in stadiums. You should be doing them in much smaller venues. I mean, you definitely on the same page when it comes to that. Uh, but can I stay with football real quick before we get to our last story in the Kendall's court? I had to get your thoughts on this because you're the Vikings fan on this show, so I knew you definitely had to be interested. In fact, you texted me about this info when it came out, so uh, I'm very curious to see what you make of it. So. According to Mark Malusis, uh, who's a New York radio host and a SNY personality on Sportsnet New York, he says that the Minnesota Vikings are working on a package that would bring Cleveland Browns wide receiver Odell Beckham to Minnesota. The deal would include Minnesota sending Cleveland a second and fifth round pick. But in return, Cleveland would uh, take no money. There'd be no dead money in regards to the Odell deal. And... Um, other cap incentives would, would allow them to to take that without any penalties. So, Kendall, are you in favor of this move if the Vikings pull the trigger and if this is indeed the package that would help you guys land Odell Beckham? Uh, yeah, I'm for it. Um, that was very quick. Yeah, yeah, I know it's great. And, and look, Vikings fans, from what I can tell, are uh, split. I think for the most part, it's positive, but there are certainly some people that are just like, I, I want nothing to do with him. You know, he's a diva, he's a drama queen. But I, for me, I understand all the all the potential negatives that come with Odell Beckham, all the baggage 
that obviously certainly comes with Odell Beckham, but um, he steps in and he's like he's better than Stephon Diggs was. I think he's better than Adam Thielen is for Minnesota. So, uh, especially Adam Thielen last year, who was very banged up. I think you need a. I mean, you don't need a number one receiver, but you need another guy next to Thielen. We've talked about bringing guys in for the you know this draft. You know, we we talked about uh, potentially drafting somebody at 22 or at 25, but knowing you draft at 22 or 25 is going to give you the impact Odell gave you next year. Um, should you trade up and get C.D. Lamb, get Jerry Judy, even maybe Henry Ruggs, and can those, can those, one of those three guys give you, you know, legit number one production or number two production? Potentially, but we're talking about rookies, so it's all potential. It's all theoretical. Uh, with Odell, he has proven that he can be a number one receiver uh, and be a top five, sometimes even top three receiver in the league. So I say, look, if you're trying to really go for it and win a championship, why not? Uh, I don't love, I don't love trying to win with Kirk Cousins. I don't love extending his contract all the weird. I, but that's where we're at now. So if that's if that's what we're doing, then. Uh, then yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna try and win with Kirk Cousins, then you gotta give him real weapons, and you don't have to give up either 22 or 25. So, if anything, we're one of the teams most equipped to be willing to give up our second round pick and a fifth round pick to try and get the guy because we have two first round picks. So, I mean, I get it. Um, it's just weird how these wide receivers now are getting moved with very little value because D Hop also was a second and. Uh, this guy and Odell going to be potentially a second round pick. I think that that's, I think that that's not great value, uh, especially for two teams in Cleveland and and Houston that are trying to, I would think, win now. But I don't know. You know, I mean, Barry, are the, are these teams though looking at the teams that were in the Super Bowl? Now, Tyreek Hill is a is a great receiver, but he's not the kind of receiver that Hopkins and Beckham are. And obviously the the Niners didn't have that kind of receiver at all. Are they looking at these teams that have had success in going to the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl and saying those teams typically don't have these, you know, prime number one type receivers? They just don't. I don't know. I'm not saying it's these receivers' fault that their teams aren't getting to the Super Bowl. But who's the last team that had that kind of guy that won a Super Bowl? Like an elite alpha number one type receiver. Like I don't like you know the kind of guy I'm talking about. Your T O, your Ocho, your you know like those guys haven't won a Super Bowl in a long time. If you run down the Super Bowl teams that have won Super Bowls in recent years. So uh, that's fair. So uh, so are these teams deciding it doesn't make sense to pay these guys X amount of dollars when the teams that are winning aren't spending that kind of money on receivers? And they're winning Super Bowls, and we're not. EJ just came up with a good theory. Uh, it, that's possible. I just know that there are a lot of teams out there that, like, I don't know, you know, because they once you there there is there is there are both extremes. Like, you have to have good receivers to win. Of course. Um, we've seen teams. We saw a lot of teams last year that had no receivers, and it really capped their uh, their potential. <laughs> and I, you have to have. You have to have depth at the receiver position, and we saw Kansas City had uh, three really good receivers and Watkins, Hardman, and Hill. 
plus Kelsey at tight end. Um, and we saw San Francisco have Debo Samuel and uh, George Kittle. Um, I don't know. I, I think I, 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 I get it because Odell, again, you're talking about the high-priced number one quote-unquote diva receiver. That guy just doesn't win you championships. Uh, doesn't win you Super Bowls, um, and that's a fair conversation. But when you're talking pure value, like when does the second round and fifth round pick ever win you a Super Bowl? You know what I mean? Like if that's what the Vikings are talking about, and they're talking about trying to win a Super Bowl next season, like I think Odell gives you a better shot right now because we're not at this point we're post free agency. If we're talking about like I don't know what the Vikings cap situation is like, but if they can take on Odell's contract, if you're talking about just a one for one. And now you can address getting a pass rusher to replace Everson Griffin at 22, an Etor Gross Matos or a AJ Epinesa or somebody like that, uh, or uh, Caleb on Chason, or getting you know a cornerback to replace Xavier Rose at 25. Um, now you you give yourself chance a chance to beef up your defense, or even if you want to draft a, a pass protector. That's that's something else the Vikings are going to need. So the Vikings have a lot of needs. Wide receiver is one of the biggest ones. So if you need to shore it up while still keeping your first round pick in a draft that I think is very deep at receiver, which is why some people will say this is a this is a waste. But I don't know. Last time the Vikings needed a receiver in a, in a draft deep with receivers, we ended up with Laquan Treadwell. You know, and I love the pair. Yeah, and that's that's the thing about receivers, like. To me, like a lot of people point to, look at all these teams that have drafted top-notch receivers in the second round, third round, guys that became stars, Michael Thomas, um, the kid uh, Metcalf. Like, like they're not drafting these guys in the top 10 or the top 20 even, some of these players, and they're, they're getting great value. I, I think the problem, I, though, I have with that theory, while it is one hundred percent accurate. I can't, it can't be argued that you can get a great receiver in the second or third round. It's it, it is. To me, I think that more points to the idea that drafting receivers is way more of a crapshoot than we understand than it is that the the position is overvalued. I think determining who will become a great receiver in the NFL is becoming more difficult than it has in re, in, in past years. I think that you could make the case that the level of hit and miss when it comes to receiver is becoming similar to quarterbacks or pass rushers where guys who just, you just think that, Oh, this guy's got to be a star player. Uh, he's drafting the top 10 and they become bust and they never turn it. They never find a way or a guy drafting the first round and say, okay, this guy uh, should be a player. And, and they, they never live up to their potential. It, I don't know why, because there's such a, the NFL is exploded with passing. You would think that, getting guys who can plug in and play would be easier. For some reason, that just hasn't been the case. And guys who are going way later in the draft are stepping in and, like, becoming ballers, like, day one. And guys who were drafted in the first round are out of the league in four or five years. So that's that's kind of why I look at that theory and say, well, you can just get a receiver at any point. I'm like, yeah, but, like, if you miss on a receiver in the second round, third round, I say this as a Jet fan who has seen them miss on receiver after receiver in the second round, like – and you just you never address the, the situation by trying to get that blue chip guy in the first or going for that trade of getting that guy who you know is a star, eventually it catches up to you because it's so hard to pick that receiver that's going to be good. 
And that would be my concern if you're going to decide, oh, no, don't go after Odell. We'll just, you know, we'll, we'll, that second-round pick, we could get a guy who may be as good as Odell. That's not crazy. Like, I, I actually would disagree with that, Kendall. I think that, that you can get a guy as good as Odell in the second round because that's, that's what we've seen. It's just the odds of that happening seem to be so random that I don't know if I'm going to waste miss my shot at getting a guy who I know is an impact player for the chance that maybe I get a guy who's a star in the second, third round, or the fifth round. That's that's a, too much of a crap shoot for me. Um, in terms of Odell and, and by the way, I was looking at it, the last team to really have an uh, ace receiver that won a Super Bowl was the Broncos in Super Bowl 50, and that was with Demarius Thomas. Yeah. But, and that was, and he was a, an elite receiver. He had 1,300 yards that year. He had been on a run where he had like a thousand yards for three or four years in a row but he was on what became one of the worst offenses to ever win a super bowl at, at at you know based on how the team ended up playing by by the way that by the by the end of that season so take that for what it's worth they went on defense not necessarily Demarius thomas as a receiver carrying them um but no i mean i think with with the odell situation first of all i mean the browns i think i, I mean i think you got to get rid of him to me i don't i don't think that uh, he wants to be there. He showed no interest in being there. I did find it interesting that when they revealed their uh, uniform, their new uniforms today, which looked great, by the way. Yeah, those uniforms are clean, man. Much better than the Falcon. Yeah, oh, yeah, those Falcon uniforms are horrific. I mean, there are people who are trying to make the case that, that they're okay. I'm like, they look, look. They'd be great if they were an XFL team. Yeah, exactly. They look like they should be playing in the XFL, the Arena Football League. Like, it's it's the gradient. Oh, man, terrible. But. Um, Browns clean jerseys, and one of the uniform that they revealed was Odell Beckham's jersey, which I'm like, how long is that gonna be, be uh, be a be be a thing in Cleveland? Because I don't know, it feels like there's a lot of smoke. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, Molly Cabot, who's a longtime NFL uh, writer, said that her source says that that story is completely false. So there's that. I don't know what that means, but what I will say also is. If that was the Vikings, and I, I get taking the gamble because they're a team in no man's land and they need to shake it up. So I get taking the gamble because at this point, I don't think you have anything to lose. I think everyone's kind of on their last go around. This is the last hurrah, man. Yeah. Like, Roman, Zimmer. Yeah. Like, all the people involved in that organization. They this, don't get to the conference championship game. They have, they're have not going to be back. Yeah. This is it. This is it for everybody. This, is the, this could be the end of an era. So you might as well take your big swing. So... I get the risk. I would say rather, t- I, I get the uh, taking the chance on Beckham. The worry I would have is Beckham and Zimmer seem like oil and water. I don't know how that's supposed yeah, to work. It's the same reason they didn't get Johnny Manziel, you know, like as, as opposed to Teddy Bridgewater. Which is why I can't help but wonder if Zimmer had nothing to do with like this procedure. Yeah, this could be all Spielman or all the Wolf family. Yeah. Because I can't, I cannot imagine Zimmer wanting a player like Odell Beckham at all. I don't know. You know him better than me. But, but at the same time, I think Zimmer also wants to win. I think he's willing to deal with guys. I mean, he dealt with Stefan Diggs for a while. But he got, he got him out of there. I mean, he got him out of there. But Diggs was, I mean, Diggs made it clear he didn't want to be there. So it was kind of oh, like. All right. But you think Beckham's going to be overjoyed of playing in Minneapolis? I mean, I think, I mean, look, it's better than Cleveland. I mean, anything's better than Cleveland. Yeah, no it's better than Cleveland. Cleveland. It's a better team. I don't know. I I mean, I think Kirk Cousins and Baker is a wash, but, you know, 
in theory, I think the, most people probably don't believe that. Most people probably think, would probably take Kirk Cousins, but he may fall into the narrative that Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback. Certainly more experienced, more veteran quarterback. Uh, I think he could sell himself in playing in Minnesota more so than I mean, but Cleveland, he sold himself in playing in Cleveland, and but I know we didn't buy that. You especially didn't buy that. No, I don't so. think he ever wanted to spend one second there, but he kind of just didn't have a choice. Right. So, I don't know. I mean, I think he'd rather be in – I mean, there are other teams I think that – like, if I were Cincinnati, I would, I would maybe make a move for Odell. But The Jets should be on the phone today. I don't know what Joe yeah. Douglas is doing. I know Joe Douglas has been smart. I actually think for the most part he's done a decent job with not jumping out the window uh, for certain guys. I did not like um, – uh, not signing Robbie Anderson, which I was okay with before you, then you gave similar money to uh, Brandon Perryman. That made no sense at all. I thought that was a terrible Rashad decision. Perryman. Rashad Perryman, sorry. That was uh, Rashad Perryman. That was, that, was, that was terrible. I didn't understand that. I understand that Adam Anderson had an additional year on his deal, but Perryman is not as good as Robbie Anderson. I'm not saying Robbie Anderson is Jerry Rice, but that to me, you downgraded at the position that you most have issues with besides offensive line. And maybe corner. So that I did not understand. That's That was frustrating to me. I think the Jets should be on the phone to get Odell Beckham to New York if that's the price. I know some people may say the price may feel low. I don't really think it is, to be honest, Kendall, because I looked at Odell's stats, and I think this is a question that I, maybe the last question I'll ask you on this before we begin to try to wrap this show. His numbers actually were a little better than I thought they were last year in Cleveland, but we've now had... Three years in a row where we can say Odell Beckham was not played like an elite receiver. He got hurt in 2017, played four games. He, in 2018, he had 1,052 yards. He did miss four games. So he played well, but again, injuries were an issue. Last year, injuries were an issue. And where the reason behind what a lot of people were saying was a subpar year where he, he only netted a little over 1,000 yards, uh, 1035. Is there any concern he's never going to get back to like what he was the first three years with the Giants? Yeah, I mean, I thought about that, but I mean, you still see flashes where it's like, you know, he's never going to lose his hands. He's still. Uh, but he's very, not a big receiver. So. Still a very, very good athlete. He is a good athlete, but Kendall, I think he's one of the guys where he's going to rely more on his athleticism than maybe your guy who's six foot four, six foot three, can kind of bully his way around smaller corners. But he's so he's 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 so gifted. Like I think he knows. Like we 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 sometimes we oh, we forget because Odell has such great. He's so great at the spectacular catch, and he's mm-hmm. very fast. That I mean, technically, he's still. A very very good receiver. Like of he's, he's going to be good till he's thirty three. I mean, we say we say that, but injuries have been an issue. And I mean, of course, like if if injuries really really catch up on him, like nobody can. They catching get, up on him now. Can can get by that? But I'm saying if if Odell's healthy, I think he's still a top five six receiver in the league. He didn't play like last year. Certainly, I had him on my fantasy team, so I can <laughs> I can certainly attest to that. But um, I think that Cleveland situation was a mess. I mean, Baker did not have a great year at all. No. Freddie Kitchens didn't know how to give him the ball. Like, there was issues there that uh, – and Jarvis Lee's playing with Jarvis Landry, who's a great receiver. And obviously Adam Thielen's also a very good receiver. But um, it's 
I don't know. I think there are situations where Odell would still be able to thrive. I'm not sure if Minnesota is one of them, but I understand them taking the shot. Uh, I get it. You know, Gary Kubiak is calling, calling plays for yeah. uh, for that team. You know, obviously he had great success with Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker as kind of one 1A receivers in Denver. So he's accustomed to having two very good receivers on the same team. So we'll, we'll end up seeing how this ends up, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I have some uh, I have some questions. I, I think that he's still a great talent. I think the Jets should take him. But just looking at these numbers, for a guy who's garnered, and rightfully so, all of this hype and this talk about him, production has been a little bit below what we would expect from someone as highly touted uh, and as uh, highly regarded as, as Odell Beckham at this point. Um, but uh, last thing before we do Kendall's Core Kendall, The Last Dance debuts this weekend, ESPN documentary on the Chicago Bulls. Um, their last season in the uh, with you know Jordan Pippen Rodman and Phil the the last championship run the last championship year the three peat. I'm curious, what are you hoping to see out of this documentary that debuts this weekend? It was supposed to debut in the June, but because of uh, the coronavirus pandemic and the bear being no basketball, ESPN made the smart decision to race this uh, documentary up to April. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this documentary, uh, it's interesting timing, it coming out now. I think, I mean, first to answer your question, I, I mean, you definitely, I mean, you just want to see what kind of behind the scenes stuff do they have. They've talked about it, you know, this is stuff that apparently has been out there. Uh, Bill Simmons, uh, who used to run 30 for 30. Uh, said that he had saw the footage before, but that they couldn't use it because Jordan didn't want it. He didn't want it out there, like at the time. Mm. He didn't want to. Do, he didn't want to do the documentary, and so that, I find that interesting that they're doing it now and that he's willing to speak on it and all these different parties are, are involved. And I think that this is happening now in part because I think the LeBron thing has really put pressure on Jordan. Mm, and wow. I think now Jordan is, I think he's trying to somewhat remind people, all right, you know, control, re-control the narrative, or regain control of the narrative by um, putting this document out there just to remind people that hey, I'm still, I'm still here. I'm still the guy. You know, I can't, I can't show you on the court, so I'll just show you stuff that you guys have never seen before. Ten hours of content. Show yeah, ten guys. hours. Which That's I a still, lot of content, man. I, I will still always contest. I don't. I don't. I, I don't think there's ever be a ten-hour documentary. But, um, but that's where. That's how, long where that, how long was that OJ joint? That was. That may have been ten hours. That, that might have been ten hours. That was a long documentary. Five, 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 five I still didn't finish that joint. It was good. But though. no. But is this ten hours or is ten parts? I think it's ten hours because I'm looking at the schedule and, uh, it's like. On April 19th, I believe, or one of these dates, they're going to be airing episodes three and four back-to-back, and they're going to air at 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock. So that's an hour. So they're an hour each. Unless there's going to be some episodes that are shorter, but I'm assuming that's not the case. When I heard 10 parts, I thought, oh, this may be. Now, of course, these are going to be with commercials. So, you know, maybe it ends up being seven hours, eight hours, whatever. But, you know, it's it's, it's a 45 minutes every single, every part of it. You know what I'm saying? 
so yeah, that's pretty much the same as the OJ thing, which was also too long. I didn't watch all of it because it's too long. But um, I don't know. I think I think a lot of this is about him trying to control the narrative, and that it'll be interesting to see what the what the you think he you think he got is. ESPN to get Carmen Electra out of the woodworks to help his own legacy. I think Jordan can get whoever, almost whoever he wants out of the world. I'm just saying, that's, we got Carmen Electra. Isn't no, we got Obama, Oprah, Oprah. He got all those people out of the world. So he all, we're gonna want. I mean, it's not just Jordan. Netflix is involved. I know. I'm just saying, like that seems like a seems like a very. I'm not saying Jordan isn't intense, but that seems yeah, like a very Jordan. over the top thing to be like, yo, this guy LeBron's catching up on me. When you, I'm, bring, when you put I'm bringing Jordan, everybody that was ever associated with the Chicago Bulls. It, out to talk about my greatness. When you put four figures together that include Michael Jordan, Netflix, Disney, and Nike, anything's possible. I'd be able to throw Gatorade in there. Mm, yeah. Anything is any like these are just major, major corporations. Yeah, that that starts with that. that that's when you get into the Illuminati, right? Area, yeah. <laughs> area of the conversation. So, okay, so at that point, only one missing is Hove. Anything is possible. Yeah, I know, right? Rock Nation or somebody. But, yeah, it's only people you know, missing at that point. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think, I, look, I don't think, like, I don't think this is Jordan saying just make this documentary because people, but I think Jordan is probably, I'm sure he probably has been asked to do this a plethora of times. And someone may have came to him or he came to somebody and said, how do we get this done? Because we need to remind people. And once Jordan's making phone calls or and ESPN's making phone calls about Jordan, people are going to get involved. And I think... I think it's going to end up being very good. Um, it'll do excellent in terms of ratings. The hype is beyond any documentary I think I've ever seen in terms of a sports documentary. Uh, uh, more than any 30 for 30 more. The OJ one was hyped up. The OJ was, one was pretty big, but this this is, this is especially something that's like non-controversial. like Yeah. And I mean, you know, Robin yeah, was controversial. This, There's going to be some controversy in it, but... But like that's it's centered on basketball. Uh, yeah, this I think would probably be one of the biggest I've I can think of. Ten parts is a lot. Um, is it too much? I guess it depends on what we see. I mean, to me, from what I see though, it, it looks like to me. I know they're calling it the last dance, but with the figures that they're they're putting in there, I, I don't think it's going to be all on just that last season. Oh no, not at all. Yeah, so I think there's going to talk about college. Yeah, I, yeah. Jordan this yeah, because Roy, Roy Williams is in it. Like you know what I'm saying? Like he was with Jordan College. Obviously, he never worked for the Bulls. So they've shown clips of Pippen at Central Arkansas. You know, like this is yeah. going to be about the formation of everything. Yeah, exactly. I, I so I don't I don't so that's why I'm not going to go as far as say that it definitely shouldn't be done in ten episodes because I don't I gotta see it and I know that's kind of like lame to be like, oh you got to make a pick do you feel like you should or shouldn't i'm like i gotta see it but i feel like there's a way that you could make this compelling for 10 episodes and the way it seems like they're from the little that they've shown is i feel like yeah they're not gonna just be on you know and then you know in december 2000 you know december 21st uh the bulls matched up with the bucks and and nah, nah, you know, this isn't like, like they're not yeah they're not gonna america's team right That's yeah exactly well you know yeah they're but, not, i don't think it's gonna be like that i think there'll be aspects of it but I don't think it's it's not going to be just like a run through of the entire season like that. So if that's the case, I think that I mean that Bulls team has some characters and some compelling stories. Phil Jackson, I mean all, I mean the whole team. 
You know, I mean, it's the main guys. Obviously, Jordan, Dennis, Phil. I mean, those guys. I mean, Dennis Robin had his own documentary on ESPN 30 for 30. Yep. And um, I just watched the documentary. It was a doc, but it was like a little. It was kind of like a doc on WWE Network about his time wrestling with DC, WCW. They spent 40 minutes on him wrestling in WCW and the crazy story that were involved with that. So, I mean, Dennis Rodman, that's three hours right there. They could just slide off and say, okay, we got three hours of content just with Dennis alone. So you're telling me you can't do 10 episodes? I think they probably can if they do it well. Um, I just hope that they get a lot. You know me. I, I'm, a, I, I'm a basketball nerd. So I would love to see more, like, I don't know how much they were documenting stuff that was happening in practice, stuff that was happening, even having guys mic'd up during games or in the halftime, you know, talks. Like, that's the kind of thing, like, I would love to see. Like, I remember yesterday or a couple of days ago, oh, yesterday, I was watching um, NBA TV, and they had, they showed a game between uh, the Pacers and the Raptors from, like, 99 and the Raptors won. It was Vince Carter rookie year. That's not really the point. The point I was going to was after the game, because they had to fill some time before they got to the top of the hour, they played, you know, this very long, like, nine-minute package on Kobe's career, Nat Sound, which was amazing. Uh, I hadn't seen it, and I was almost getting emotional watching it because it was so well done. But, um, but like, they, I, I didn't, like, I didn't realize how much, like, how much footage NBA Entertainment got of Kobe over the last, you know, all those 20 years he was playing in the NBA, just at All-Star Games, in the locker room for the All-Star Game, in the locker room for a game, locker room after the game, you know, shots of, you know, him talking. There's a great scene in there where, like, they show a play with him and Pau Gasol running a pick and roll, and Pau giving him a look at him running it perfectly and getting Pau and Ann one in a big play in their uh, game against uh, the Orlando Magic in the NBA Finals. And then afterwards, like, they showed, like, Kobe and Powell breaking down that play about, like, how they did it perfectly and how he gave the look and why it worked. And, like, it was awesome. But, like, that's kind of what I would love to see. I would love to see Michael or anybody on the Bulls, Phil, someone breaking down, like, things that happened in these games in live and, like, or at the time, at least. You know what I'm saying? Where they maybe they were mic'd up and they got footage of them talking about something that happened or them breaking down certain teams or certain games. Like... I hope there's a lot of that stuff in there. I hope it's not so much just like all sizzle, just about like you know what life was like as like a you know they were like a rock star team. All that stuff is gonna be great, and the dentist stuff is gonna be great. But I'm hoping that they get more of that like basketball nerd stuff too in there that I would love to see. And it's not just like all like yeah we were a great team and we beat everybody. <laughs> like I hope they go into more of that other stuff. Yeah, yeah, but this should be a fun watch. I think we'll, I think we'll all be excited for it. It's, it, it. I know Jordan's a league owner now, so that is a big reason why. But so I'm, I, maybe I've answered my own question. But is it weird to you that Jordan doesn't rep the Bulls harder than he does? It's weird to me. I kind of forget sometimes he's associated with the Bulls until. I see him in a Bulls jersey, or I look, yeah. look stats, or I play two K because he he they like he has no association with them. And I, I get it; he is a league owner for another team, but I mean, I feel like I didn't feel that way with Larry Bird when he was running the Pacers. Like I, I never, I always still, I felt like he still was repped by the Celtics in a hard way. And now, how much of that know. is Reinsdorf? 
Is Ryan Jones not giving him his due? I don't. I don't know if the. That's because, a, like, but, the so Bulls that's a great question. Is it the Bulls don't hug their themselves? The Bulls franchise doesn't hug themselves around Jordan and the Jordan era as much as the Celtics do around Bird. That's like a, the, that's the Celtics Bulls. They'll re, they'll remind you. Now some of it is the Celtics have a lot of figures in the organization and in the in the media that are from that era that are that played with Bird or yeah. played in during that era. So, like, or were involved around the team. Like, you know, Mike Gorman and Tommy Heinsohn were doing games during right. that time. Like, exactly. Danny Ainge played with Bird. Like, so, it, so yeah, you know, they're gonna they're gonna still throw back to that time. But it may be a little different if Scottie Pippen were the play by play guy or the commentator for Chicago. But yeah, they don't really they don't really. I mean, Stacey King gets played with Jordan, but I mean. He's the, last, he's the last guy I think about, yeah, when, I think about yeah, the, exactly. when I think about the great Chicago Bulls team. Stacey King is the literally the last right. guy I think you know, about. And Cedric Maxwell is another guy that bigger in Boston that played with. So I mean that that era is much. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but again, I look. I look at Reinsdorf. I don't think that's an unfair assessment, though, right? What I just said. Oh yeah, but you, again, you see I it too. I don't know if it's all on Jordan. Because I don't think Larry Bird is reminding people he's a Celtic great. Every he's a quiet guy in general, so he right. doesn't. He doesn't talk to anybody. Kind of similar to Jordan. They're both kind of unaccessible at this point. But the Celtics will be quick to put a Larry Bird reel on at halftime of a game or show do a new documentary, mini documentary on the Celtics on NBC Sports Boston on that 80s, on that 80s Celtics team versus uh, you don't really see that with Chicago. I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird to I me. Think, I don't think a lot of it has to do with Ryan's order, man. I don't think So what is it about him? You think he doesn't he just doesn't mess with them? I, like he does doesn't I rock he, with them I, like that? I don't think that the way that thing ended was not good. And I don't I will we'll probably get more on it during this documentary, but I don't think that that was something that Like worked. I think of Phil Jackson more as a Lakers coach than a Bulls coach. That was one hundred percent Ryan's door. Yeah. Was and I would that I would agree with for for yeah. sure. But like has I mean, I mean these guys have all like had their numbers retired, but like has Phil Jackson really like been back to Chicago? I don't know if he has. Uh, just like a legend, you know, like yeah. I'm, Pippen has plenty of times I think, but uh, you, and you never see it with Jordan, obviously. But again, he's a league owner, so you're willing to you're willing to understand that one. But I mean, some of it is just the dynamics. Like Robin's a, a kind of a weird guy. Like they're not gonna. Just, he's not. He might not be the kind of guy you want. Yeah, around. you're not gonna just prop around Robin like he's like, you know. Yeah, the Knicks. Hey. Knicks, you know, barely can handle Oakley. <laughs> right. <laughs> Imagine Robin. Robin's the last guy. They <laughs> if he was just kind of United. Yeah, Center. exactly. You know, so Pippen. And they had to, to drag Oakley out <laughs> by security. So Imagine Dennis Robin. He was sitting courtside at Bulls games every week. You see Pippen all the time, I think, in Chicago. So I'll give them, I'll give him that credit. But uh, Jordan, not so much. And I think some of that is Ryan Stoff. I think some of that's just that, that era. But it's so weird because that era, like they haven't done anything since then, and they really didn't do much before that. I'm trying to say there's no history beyond so they, that besides what Derrick Rose. Talking about so Norman Van Leer back in the you know in the Jerry, Jerry Sloan, Artis Gilmore. Yeah, like uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it either, man. Uh, it is weird. But, yo, man, I'm excited for this documentary. It comes out this upcoming weekend. The Last Dance. 
the story of the 1997-98 Chicago Bulls. Their sixth NBA championship season should be a good watch. I'm looking forward to it. Kendall, we're at the point in the show for Kendall's Court. I know we talked about a big announcement, so why don't you give it to the people? Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, if you got to listen to the show or seen us on YouTube, we talk a lot about college basketball and college basketball recruiting and the NBA draft, and those are all things that we that we discuss. Um, and this is a huge. This has been a huge week for college basketball because there's been a lot of transactions. I don't say transactions. That that seems a little uh, <laughs> seems a little negative. Uh, but there's been a lot of movement. There's been a lot of movement in college basketball. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of guys get, uh, you know, transferring and we've seen a lot of guys making commitments and plenty this week. And normally a lot of high profile guys, normally we would be discussing that stuff on this show. I'd probably, you know, carve out time during Kendall's court to, to discuss all the guys that have made their decision. Uh, by the time you listen to this podcast, Josh Christopher, Jalen Green, Greg Brown is getting ready to make his decision. Um, Isaiah Todd just made a big move. Like all those things are things that we would normally discuss on this podcast, but we're actually going to be saving that for this weekend, where we will be starting a. Uh, we I, we haven't necessarily nailed down how often it'll be, but I guess we'll talk about that a little more. But we should biweekly, monthly. We'll see how long. Uh, basketball recruiting podcast college basketball podcast where we talk about a lot of these things that you know we've talked about sometimes on the on the youtube channel but things that you know things that aren't normally talked about on youtube you know you, you can lot you can read a lot of articles by plenty of people from rival the espn 247 sports that'll give you uh your info on where a certain guy is going to go or a scouting report and who a certain player is now you're going to get it in video format uh on youtube um you'll we'll debut the name when the video drops but it should be very interesting we'll get into uh jalen green's decision we'll get into josh christopher's decision we'll get into greg brown's upcoming decision uh we may even talk about uh imani bates who just won gatorade player of the year uh, what? How do we feel about that? That was a very interesting decision. Only a sophomore, but all interesting stuff that I, you know, we could have easily brought up on this week's show. But we're actually just going to condense it into a long form discussion on YouTube. So look forward to that uh, this weekend. Yeah, and we've uh, we flirted with the idea of kind of you know combining stuff we do on YouTube with what we do on our podcast. You know, you saw that with our podcast we did with um, with Coach Nick from Basketball Breakdown. Massive shout out to Coach Nick and all the stuff he's still doing. Um, That was a video and audio podcast audio on the typical, um, you know, platforms we post on. And uh, the video component, which, of course, was the same talk kind of conversation, but just on video, was posted on YouTube. And we've done, obviously, segments from our podcast, posted them on YouTube. This is actually our first venture into doing any kind of, you know, podcast that will be um, posted on YouTube in its entirety. So, you know, don't expect this to be something that's going to be, you know, hour and a half, two hours long, like our normal weekly podcast we do, whether it be this show or New Generation Hero Talk or, you know, Imperial Broadcast 
or even uh, the Throne Tales podcast for the Throne Game of Thrones fans. This is not going to be that long. It'll probably be something more between 35 to 45 minutes or so. Um, but it'll be solely done through YouTube. And, um, and not th- that's solely done through YouTube, but it'll be, it'll be done also for YouTube. So these will be uh, conversations about basketball recruiting in particular. These are conversations you probably hear a lot of stuff uh, dedicated to Kendall's court for in the past. Uh, maybe you won't see here as much as that of that content on Kendall's court because some of that stuff may be end up being saved for uh, for um, the podcast that's yet to be named our basketball recruiting podcast. Of course, massive stories that you know can't be talked about. Well, of course, we'll talk about it here, but um, but yeah, it's going to be a podcast dedicated solely to uh, basketball recruiting. Kendall, um, I should note, was the one of the few people who was accurate and correctly predicted Josh Christopher's commitment yeah, to Arizona I mean, State. Josh Christopher had uh, 100% really there they he had the the rivals the, the 247 crystal ball which is all the experts predicting where these guys are going to go up until the day of his commitment. Uh he had everyone except one person picking him to go to Michigan and the one person that uh didn't pick him to go to Michigan. Uh, was put in a, a prediction for foggy, meaning they just didn't know. <laughs> and he ended up picking Arizona State in what ended up being statistically the biggest upset uh, in rival in 247's crystal ball recruiting history. Uh, and, I mean, I was... I mean, I, I can't... I'm not going to say I knew he was going to Arizona State, but I, I, had, a, I had a feeling that that's where he's going to end up going. Uh, and I said it in our video. So we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, and that's just that's just a, a, a you know kind of an example of I I believe uh, Kendall's great insight. You know, not to just have a know, feel. Yeah, not to not to put him over <laughs> like I'm doing right now. But I mean, you, you guys see it. I mean, you guys hear it. I mean, when Kendall gets in his college basketball bag, his whether it's talking draft or talking recruiting, he knows his stuff. And I'm no slouch myself either. But yep. um, I, I think that it's a conversation. That's where I got it from. Word, word. And, and that's, I feel like this is a conversation that will be beneficial for people who love that aspect of our content. We see it with so much of the response we get on YouTube. So we're hoping that uh, bringing it to a podcast will be exciting. I think it will. I think you guys will end up enjoying it. I think it's going to be really awesome. So make sure you, you guys uh, get ready for that. It'll be out this weekend. Our first venture into uh, a YouTube podcast. It will be basketball recruiting related to be named uh later tbd on the title but that is it for this week's edition of new generation sports talks i want to thank all you guys for listening you can catch all of our shows on the new generation podcast network on soundcloud itunes stitcher and TuneIn. i once again want to give a massive shout out to our um our fans over on youtube who helped us cross 500 subscribers this week i can't thank you guys enough you know, we do this obviously not just because we love it, but we, we, we love that we're able to provide um, a source of entertainment, a source of thoughtful uh, insight, whatever the reason you watch our content, even if it's to hate us. I, 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 I do appreciate um, the views that we've gotten and, and, the, and the following that we were starting to build. And I think that we're really on the road to something special. We're going to keep grinding and we got a long way to go still, but... 500 subscribers is no no small feat for anyone who's ever tried to do anything on YouTube. So 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody uh, who subscribed to us. And make sure you do subscribe if you're not yet subscribed to our podcast. I mean, through my YouTube channel, which at this point, what are you waiting for? I mean, you've listened to this podcast now for almost two hours and you've enjoyed it that much to where you stayed uh, to, to hear the end of this. You should, you got to check out our YouTube channel. Check it out, New Generation Media. Um, and follow us on social media, uh, on Facebook, New Generation Media, on Twitter, New Generation Pod, and on Instagram, New Generation Podcast. I can be found on Instagram, Action EJ, on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. Thank you guys once again for listening in. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Peace.